Are we recording? Yeah, I've been oh. recording. Well, I would have put on my podcast voice. Wouldn't it be weird if, um, <laughs> wouldn't it be weird if I was talking like really weird like this? And then it I was would... like, you're recording. And I just started talking like this. Yeah, this is actually, I, I'm actually from like, England. And so I, this is like, I'm, it's like, all this is just You're doing your work. American mm-hmm. standard. I'm doing specifically, the accent work that I'm doing is someone who grew up in Chicago, had a thick accent, went to theater school. Like, I, my accent actually has a quite a long backstory, but it's not actually the accent I was born with. <laughs> but it's very intricate and detailed. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh my God. I, I would beg to differ. Away. I, I have to edit the podcast, and I think I've mentioned before, but I haven't mentioned in a while, so it's worth repeating. Listening to your own voice is fucking Small piece hell. of hell on earth. Do you like listening? Do you mind listening to your voice? Oh, my God. I could listen to myself all day. If this podcast was widely received enough to have critics, right? Yeah, uh, the critics would have something to say about my vocal fry. I don't think you have that terror. I think my whole voice is a vocal fry. No, it's not. Like I don't have even vocal fry at the ends of sentences. I am like frying out. <laughs> I think you're you're mixing up vocal fry, which is having a lower toned voice. Oh, <laughs> but isn't it where you like uh, like that's vocal fry? Doesn't yeah. my voice just sound like this all the time? Uh, I mean, you have a raspier voice, but it's not like you have. I th- so the vocal fry, this is such a nerd thing, and I could be wrong. But with vocal fry, there's like very little pitch. That sounds like me, what you're doing. No, it doesn't. It sounds like you're doing an impression. Are you doing an impression of me? This is me doing an impression of Quinn. See, you have like a crystal clear um <laughs> You've Julie said it Andrews, <laughs> musical theater voice. That was the nicest thing a kid ever said to me because I, when I babysit, I'm an adult, but it's a cheap trick. You. You're welcome. It's a cheap trick, but when I babysit, I sing with the kids, and I learned to play the ukulele a little bit so I could like play some of the um, Sound of Music songs for these kids who obsess with Sound of Music. And this little boy was like, you're just like... Maria. And then he was like, you're like Maria and Mary Poppins. And I was like, bitch, you mean Julie Andrews. Let's get this straight. And then you punched him. And then I punched him in the nose and I now blamed it on who him Julie falling. Andrews is. Now when I ask him who the fuck is Mary Poppins, he says, Julie Andrews so freaking fast. I can't even tell you. This is Julie Andrews and he cries and holds his face. <laughs> he does. That's he so worries, great. But you did that for him. Yeah. Well, you know what? If you're raising people into this world and they don't know who Julie Andrews is, that needs to be rectified very quickly. Just give them the gift of fear. It is the gift that keeps on giving. We've talked about it before. You know, we've said it once, we'll say it before. Tell your kids they're mediocre. Instill fear in them. And praise no one. So I think, again, I think we're you're doing great. <laughs> and God bless America. Um, I really quick want to say welcome and congratulations <gasps> to our Us. new Patreon subscribers oh. over the last few weeks, Lori, Greg, Michelle, and Kim. We love you guys, and we're happy to so have much. you as part of our dearest. Nearest and dearest readers. readers. Yeah. And so is Koa, honestly. Look at him jumping for him joy. Celebrate. Koa is fully celebrating. Maybe we should add a Patreon um, level where Koa writes you an original song, and we record Ooh. it, and we send it. Just a chop. 
we'll call it the child labor ten dollars a month. <laughs> this or, is Halloween. <laughs> this so we is both- Halloween. This is Halloween. 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 This is a week before. This is our week before a Halloween special. Next well week done. is our Halloween special. Yeah. yeah. Every day is Halloween for us. Also, I don't know if you, dear readers, I don't know if you can see me. I'm wearing fucking <laughs> orange overalls. Guys, I. I don't know if you can see me. I don't, see me. Can I don't see know me. if this thing's on. Shit got really fall, and I fucking leaned in, and I'm wearing orange overalls. We <laughs> fell forward fast. We fell into forward fall. right quick into the autumnal gaze, and it's beautiful. It's crisp. It reminds me of my dad. My dad always gets, like, those shitty caramel apples. Oh, I hate those. We talked about this. The trick you is like you gotta them. get the cheap ones with, like, that are high fructose corn syrup, and, like, the caramel is not real. It, like... It's just sugar. I, my so good. thing with having dessert is that I, when I have dessert, I've admitted that we're, I'm going to have dessert. So I don't need to half-ass it by sticking a giant thing of vitamins in, a ball of vitamins inside my dessert. Like, I'm just going to fucking eat dessert. Says the bitch who fucking gave us peach raspberry pie. Like, go fuck yourself. Well, a, a fruit pie <laughs> is very different than a raw apple. That's basically apple. the pie. It's basically the same. I got so aggro right there when I just called you out on that. If you're mad at <laughs> well, me for also, that, for the record, go for it. <laughs> I want the dear readers to know the night that I gave Carrie pie for dessert, which came a la mode, I also <laughs> provided cookies. I'm no idiot. I, mean, I, I didn't also think provided pie would suffice. And, but I also provided cookies, but mine were dashed across the room to side and Yours said... Yours were saved for when there are no company present other than myself and you so that I can have more cookies. Well, here's what was funny. So, dear readers, there was two weeks ago I made... I, I Listen, all I do is prep for having guests, and it's COVID, so no one comes over. It's really <laughs> dark. <laughs> I have a record creepy. player. I've like bought all these records. I have this. I imagine a party where people come, and I'm trying to get my Christmas albums, like increasing them, so people come over and put Christmas albums on while I put the Netflix fire log on. I mean, really beautiful party. I like to make homemade chocolate chip cookies, and then I freeze the balls, and then I make them for myself, so I have hot cookies. Or if someone comes over, I'm like, who wants fresh baked cookies after dinner? I mean, it's a really smart thing to do. It's smart. Okay. Also eat, eat a raw dog. You know what I mean? Like have a raw dog cookie dough. I'm not one of those. You're as not? you know, how do oh, you yeah. not well, know that? Well, here's what happens. So when I cook a cookie, <laughs> I do it. So it's like, I try to do it toasty on the outside, but it's like a little bit raw dog on the inside. So it's gooey. I don't like a gooey soft cookie. I like a crisp, hard cookie or a gooey warm cookie I made them my way and Quinn was hot to the draw and she picked it up and like usually fresh they, out of the oven usually they I set burn my like, hand I think like, fully. usually they set so like as much as their raw dog in the middle like they do become like a fine consistency to eat consistency yeah consistency to eat the Quinn grabbed the cookie so fast and started eating it and like disintegrated <laughs> And then she was like, gushing out of my teeth. Of course, I was like, she hates the cookie, but then she kept putting it in the oven (laughs) to cook it because it was too raw, but it was too raw because I wouldn't wait for it to cool. I was just pulling it off like the oven. And it wasn't getting any cooked. Um, It wasn't getting just gooey, gooey, gooey. And then I think my favorite moment, and again, this is why you got to find yourself a Matt or a Quinn in your life where, like, (laughs) oh, yeah. 
<laughs> Matt had his cookie. Queen was waiting for her cookie bits to bake, whatever that was. And she grabbed Matt's cookie and she's like, this one's good. And then she just ate the rest of it. <laughs> Matt take it Matt's away. cookie was the better cookie. It was the better. He was right. And you're like, I should have let it sit. Because he left his alone. Because he left his alone. <laughs> Quinn had like hot goo blistering on her face. It was fun. It was basically like, what is that weapon? It's not a Molotov cocktail, but isn't there something where it's like burning and it sticks to your skin? No. <laughs> no, I have no idea what you're saying, but I want to be there with you, and I'm not. This is Halloween. <laughs> this is Halloween. Um, I go first this week. Okay, but one last question. Oh. What's your favorite Halloween movie? I like classic. Like I like. I really like the movie Halloween. I've never seen it. I know. Because I'm so scared of scary movies. Poltergeist I rewatched recently. That uh, is great. That's I watched great. that a while ago. I get so fucking afraid. My favorite, Hocus Pocus. <laughs> Not surprised at all over here. <laughs> Not at all surprised. I'm just like, what's Halloween but fun and like a little gay? That's what I like. Well, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. No. That Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy and Jimmy. Like, I mean, who could want any more? No, that's a very good. You know what? I think I'll watch this Halloween because I haven't seen it in a long time and I love it and it's a feel good. Hmm. Death Becomes Her. It's not Halloween yes. particularly, but isn't it enough? Can I watch it with you? Because I have I think no. I... Okay. I need to watch it alone. <laughs> By myself or not <laughs> at all? You can bring some cookies and then leave. You know how I... You know my saying? <laughs> By myself or not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should come over. It's going to be a Saturday, and I imagine that Halloween is ostensibly canceled. So, uh... Yeah. Come on by. Okay. So, my story... I'm going to tell you about Project Pegasus. Know anything about it? Why does it sound so familiar? Um, Probably it said that on one of your, like, Lisa Frank journals growing up, but (laughs) it's not that. Okay. This is quite a wild ride, but you know what? Jump on. Buckle in. Here we go. Click. This show is brought to you by me, Quinlan Posner. And this show is brought to you by me, Carrie Ipema, and you're listening to... Truly. Darkly. Creepily. My sources were NBC News, RV, an RVML lecture from the man himself, uh, Andrew Basiago, uh, Cult of Weird, Famous Interview, and Vice. It's like I want to give more disclaimers for what I'm about to say or something, but you know what? Jump in. Uh, I'm going to apologize later. (laughs) You know what we say. Do you know what a chrono knot is? A crodonut? Like a chrono? <laughs> Not a cronut. <laughs> In my defense, they sound eerily similar. Okay, In so my defense, they're the same word. I'm going to break it down for you. A chrononaut. So chrono. Not a cronut, like, folks. chronological and not like astronaut, like N-A-U-T. Oh, So okay. like chrono. Time astronaut. Time it's a travel. time tronaut. This is a time travel story. Operation Motherfucking Pegasus. Project Pegasus. Same thing. So Andrew Basiago is our main character. Mm-hmm. He is a Seattle attorney, and he claims that he was a chrononaut in a secret 
U.S. government time travel program when he was a child. He totally knows and appreciates that everyone thinks he's a kook. He seems to have, like, really made peace with that. Um, He's not, like, so deluded that he thinks, like, everyone's going to accept this information. But he's been publicly making the claim since 2004 that between the ages of 7 and 12, he participated in this program that worked on teleportation and time travel and that it was under DARPA, which is Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, and that the name of the time travel program was Project Pegasus. And it was a sort of precursor to other time travel stuff you guys might have read about if you're into time this kind of stuff. Wife. Yes, it was, it was the prequel <laughs> All the to the time travelers. Movies. Um, no, it was the precursor to the Montauk Project and the Philadelphia Experiment. But in 1968 to 72, um, he was part of this program, and time travel had just emerged as sort of um, a new, very secretive technology. And he was one of 140 gifted children that got enrolled in the program. And he was the first American child to teleport. He took part in eight different kinds of time travel that were experimental and new, um, and they applied quantum physics, and they were all being secretly researched at the time by, and developed by DARPA. He keeps saying in the video when I was learning about this that it was Tesla-based, and at first I was like, oh my God, so it's like a DeLorean, but they used a Tesla because that's how far we've come. And then I realized he's not talking about Tesla that. He's talking about Nikola Tesla, the inventor. So Nikola Tesla uh, had teleportation technology when he died in 1943. He had a lab in Manhattan, and he spent the last 15 years of his life supposedly pretending to be, like, really into birds. But he was really inventing teleportation. So when he died... Two teens with congressional authority broke into his place. I'm sorry, repeat that again? Two teenagers Mm -hmm. that had congressional authority. (laughs) This feels... The whole thing is going to feel that feeling. Okay, cool. You're going to be feeling all kinds of feelings while I tell this story, but I'm going to present the story as As if it's fact. Because if I start adding in supposedly is every 10 minutes, we're all going to get... supposedly. (laughs) Yeah, we're just, (laughs) we're going to get exhausted. We've got to treat this like it's real because that is fun. (laughs) All right. So these two teens break into his place and like steal all his papers and shit. Okay. Now, the reason Andrew's involved in this to begin with is that his dad worked for uh, Ralph M. Parsons Engineering Corporation, and he helped develop technology. He does electrical engineering, and he was asked to repeat Nikola Tesla's time travel experiments. So basically, what Andrew's saying is that teleportation in general is 100 years old. It's not even, it's older than him, because Tesla basically knew how to do it. He opened a vortal tunnel into the fabric of time and space. So when Andrew's brought in to do his first jump, he says his dad had already been traveling for years at the Curtis Wright Corporation in New Jersey. So Andrew goes and he experiences like eight different types of time travel technologies because they're trying different things out. Right. The m- one that was most common involved a teleporter 
which was based on these papers that they took from Nikola Tesla's NYC apartment. So I know that you're like, what does that even look like? A teleporter. It's two gray elliptical booms that are eight feet tall. Okay. And they're separated by about 10 feet. And then there's between them, there's sort of a shimmering curtain. I know it right away. Yeah. Yeah. It's like radiant energy. You can picture it, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Um, And radiant energy was a form of energy that Tesla discovered is latent and pervasive in the universe and has, believe it or not, among its properties, the capacity to bend time and space. Huh. Incredible, right? Really amazing stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Almost unbelievable. Almost Uh, unbelievable. Almost (laughs) so close to being unbelievable, but in fact, so believable. So believable. So believable. So he had to get alpha intelligence training in order to remember what he would see and report it. He's just a kid. He wouldn't know what to do. He'd be like, it was rainy. And they'd be like, we don't care about that. Exactly. So he and these other kids were learning how to be like psychic spies. Oh, he makes a great joke. He says they were small mediums at large. That's pretty (laughs) cute. Come on. Not only is he a time jumper, he's a wordsmith. That guy, that Andrews. And he became a lawyer in Seattle? Hey, sign me up. He um he's he also makes mention at one point he's like we needed to be ready, they needed to make sure that we were ready to kill someone and I think he was seven at the time so I was like good luck. Um, Wait, he, this is all when he's seven. It started when he was seven. Right. I mean, this kid he did some amazing things. He went to the Civil War. He saw dinosaurs. He was doing really dangerous things. But what you need to understand is were they that, protected? Well, so listen, it was three dimensional. Chronovision. So what that means is almost like he was hologrammed there. So he was like a ghost. Like he couldn't actually get hurt. But even if something went wrong and he did get hurt, he says that what they would have done is the government, they would have made him like a missing kid, like an abduction. And been like, it's never solved. So think of all the abductions never solved. And now, wonder, if you will, were they just time traveler kids. He would also go to places and he'd see another kid pop up there because he wouldn't always be the only one they'd send and he'd see it like a hologram and they'd like he'd see an outline of them and then they'd appear in the outline and they'd only usually have 15 minutes to be anywhere because like the plot of a great movie, they would get stuck or something if they didn't go back in 15 minutes. (laughs) They would have to like, they could like, they had control of them for 15 minutes and could just pull them back. And if they had gotten stuck, they would need to suck them back through a different kind of portal and it would have been more dangerous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the things they have him go to a bunch is the Lincoln assassination. So picture he would travel via chronovisor to the assassination and then they would collapse the chronovisor and he would be suddenly in a field of like photoelectric lights called scintillation which is like supercharged particles but he'd be on um a chrono visor stage so it's like imagine he's like on a stage and then they beam him somewhere else and then he'd pop back up on the stage and he'd be in new mexico mm-hmm. which is where he was for the lincoln assassination well, that was, he, he was in new mexico the summer of 1971 getting beamed to the lincoln assassination okay Gotcha. So basically they're collapsing him as a hologram to return him. And each of his visits to the past was different because they'd send them, get this, to slightly 
different alternative realities on adjacent timelines. Time is yeah, not how no, I get it, it works, which is obvious. We all knew that. As the visits, though, begin to accumulate, he starts to sometimes run into himself. Which, like, that is not good. It's I know not in any good. time travel movie, TV show premise, you should not run into yourself. And one time he called his mom on the phone, and she was like, how are you on the phone with me when you're in the playroom watching TV? And he said, psych, and he hung up, and she was like, what a fun prankster. <laughs> what a goon. So he went to see the assassination. He was, like, a super fan. He was, like, loved that. He went, like, five or six times. I don't know that he loved it, but they wanted him back there all the time. Wow. He really liked watching Lincoln get shot, which is concerning. But One thing on. that he was worried about, though, is he was like, I didn't like running into myself because it made me worried I would get caught and... I didn't have any explanatory materials on my person that would have saved me, unlike when I went to Gettysburg. Right. So let's talk about the jump to Gettysburg. Please. Um, There was a plasma time slip used to send him to Gettysburg in 1863 to see Lincoln give the Gettysburg address. There's a lot of obsession with Lincoln here. I mean, we all are obsessed with Lincoln. He's the best. Um, <laughs> that hat, you that know? Ha- I mean, the style choices. I'm from Illinois, Springfield. Sure, he's the land of Lincoln, babe. When he went back, he actually had a letter to Navy Secretary Gideon Wells in case something went wrong to, that would hopefully get him aid and assistance if he was arrested when he went back in time. But at one point, he did almost get caught in this weird way where what happened was... He was waiting to get beamed back, and he saw a photographer get a picture of him as he was leaving. He has this photograph, and he's like, like this is me, and I'm here. Now, it was analyzed by an expert, and he says it's proof because what you can see in the picture is that, I guess, you can sort of see his skull in a way where if he was vanishing, it sort of acted like taking a picture, like an x-ray. X-ray. Right. But that technology was not invented at that time. Right. Radium wasn't even found yet. Have you seen the picture? Yeah. And? Um, I guess I'd have to take a closer look. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're an expert. So we got one expert, and I was looking for yours. But Oh, my expert opinion? Mm-hmm. I mean... I think he's telling the truth about everything. I have to live my life that way. Uh, And I suggest your reader, you do too. But like I said, he's carrying this letter, right, to Gideon Wells. This is just an anecdote, purely anecdotal, but I love them. He, years later, (laughs) this is so good. Okay, so years later, he's lecturing or something in Hawaii, and he runs out of money, which I just like to paint that picture of Andrew. He's like in Hawaii, runs out of money, can't fly home. And needs help. So what does he do? He gets on Facebook and he contacts somebody that's like into his time travel stuff and is like, right. can, is anyone living in Hawaii? Can anyone help me? Somebody gets in contact with him and is like, yeah, I can set up a lecture for you to do in Maui and you can come stay with me. And then we'll split the money from the lecture. And he's like, great. And he goes and stays with her and she totally saves his ass and he can fly home. The button is she's a direct descendant of Gideon, of Gideon Wells? Wells. Cute, right? Side point. Cute story, Cute, though. So weird. Yeah. 
who what lawyer who's given speeches runs out of money and isn't being flown out there? Like that, that was a just little makes, weird to me too. To me, I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I like how you're living your life, Andrew. Live it. Yeah. Also, why would you leave Hawaii if you're stuck in Hawaii? Isn't that just like stay. the best place to stay? Take it from someone who's done it. Just stay. Just stay. He's like, you've sent me to all these important historical events. Why haven't you sent me to the Kennedy assassination? Yeah, well, he's seen president's assassinations. You know, add it to the list. Too many cameras at that time. It it was filled with press, that area. And they're like, no, it's just too risky. Mm. We can't. It's a threat to operational security. Okay. So let's stop talking about the past for a second and talk about his visits to the future. Okay. Okay. The way that he visited the future was picture like a photo umbrella attached to a dentist chair. And then there's a magnetic transuser. Don't know what it is, but it bumps your mind forward in time. So he can see 15 to 20 minute episodes of the future. And he, when he was a kid, experienced being a lawyer in Seattle. And he's not from Seattle and doesn't know anyone in Seattle. And he was a kid, he didn't care about law. But sure enough, he did become a lawyer in Seattle, okay? Okay. He also never physically leaves the chair when he does these. When he goes forward, he doesn't leave. Okay. Right. There's no hologram. I think it's all in the mind. He went to 2045, and he saw what time travel looked like, and it was just like basically walking into an elevator, and then the doors close, and when they open, you're somewhere else. So that level of teleportation is hopefully going to be available to us in 2045. Andrew says, I urge people to study Buddhism because the future is going to be just so much calmer than it is now. Because think about all this rushing around we do and stuff. He said, you're not going to be, you know, running around to make connections or anything. It's just going to be, we can move through time and space just so differently then. Um, So he learned about a lot of these future events through quantum access, um, but it only I think the temptation is to go, then you know everything that's going to happen. He points out it really only paints a partial picture of the future. Um, and it, an example that I think he used is that somebody saw .com and came back and was like, there's something that has to do with .coms and people talking about it and it having to do with these computers. And a lot of people were like, right, and were like, I think it's this computer I think it has to do with computers dot com does and some people were like I think it has to do with communism and that communism is going to be the future oh interesting okay so it's all interpretation yeah right his example was if you traveled forward for 15 minutes and you went to New York City 20 years into the future and you had 15 minutes there it, you wouldn't it's get all a full about picture. What you would fucking see. You'd yeah. walk down the street and you'd see certain things and go, whoa, what the fuck? And like be amazed by them. But you wouldn't get a picture of every answer about that year right. and what's going on in the whole fucking world. Yeah, I'd be curious to see what they think about 2020. I mean, it'd be pretty smart to just turn on the news if you're a time traveler <laughs> rather than go on like a stroll. Well, they don't Central know what internet Park. is. They don't know that TV is readily available yet. You're right. One thing I need you to know about Andrew is that he went to Mars, and the goal in going to Mars was that they wanted to protect Earth, of course, from space threats, and they wanted to establish territorial sovereignty, and they also just wanted, like, the Martians to get used to them. Yeah. You know? That's fair. He claims that there were a few other people that went. Dugan, the future head of DARPA, went. 
Obama was also there in his Mars training class at California's college. So this is this is um, pre-President Obama. He's a part of DARPA. Oh, correct. A young President Obama. Right. Okay. A yeah. young President Obama. It, fe- it was in 1980, and it, he, there was e- 10 young adults that were chosen to go to Mars via a top-secret teleportation jump room. Wow. And William Stillings is one of them. He was in the program. He confirms this, that this happened. And although not in the program, Laura Magdalene Eisenhower, yes, great-granddaughter of President Dwight D. Eisenhower, also confirms that Obama was part of this. Wow. He was 19 at the time, and he went by the name Barry Sotero. Right. Okay. So he wasn't going by Obama. Maybe he was just really wasn't his, was like it, him. But his dad's name is Obama. Was his mom's maiden name Sotero? We'll never know. Unless we <laughs> open a book. Impossible to it's know. It's impossible to know. What's a dot com? <laughs> so one thing that's kind of a bummer for Obama is he has to lie about his military service record while his political opponents attack him for never serving. He was He's <gasps> actually just been concealing that, that he participated in, in a CIA intergalactic program. You know what? It's amazing. It really is incredible. That there's no movie about t- 10 teenagers sent to Mars and one I of think... them's Obama? Why isn't the movie made? I'll watch it. <laughs> isn't it Ender's Game? <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I got a couple more things. Uh, this is insane. I'm done soon, but it's it's great. Where did, this is insane. Mm-hmm. So... The place. Where is this all happening? Um, He kind of talks a little about the building that he is going into and that all the people there kind of look like tall, attractive avatars and that there's plants everywhere because he's these are people that have access to the future. So they know things we don't. So they look great. They feel great. There's lots of plants. He goes in in the future. We're looking less and less great. But moving on. (laughs) He goes inside a blue tube to enter, and then he's given canisters of digitized summaries of past events. And he goes into a conference room to go visit them. Right. And he runs at a wall, a la... Harry Potter. Indeed. Okay. The teleporter's sort of recessed into the wall. And then he pops into view at the Lobo Overlook site, which is three miles west of the Continental Divide in southwest Colorado. There's a plasma confinement chamber there. Basically, he says it's a room where plasma is being released, and it kind of looks, I don't know, like, opaly. Can you picture that? Okay, yeah. I mean, I know nothing about plasma, but that sounds right to me. That's what I picture. Okay, sure, yeah, I'm Um, on board. It reproduces what is usually done spontaneously when seismic, seismic, when seismic faults release plasma. The plasma technology used was founded by Sterling Colgate. Colgate is, in fact, heir to the toothpaste fortune. You know him? Watching Quinn tell this story feels like I'm about to, like, fast forward, and Quinn's going to be in this room with post-its and, like, yarn and, like... It's going to be that... This is her journey. This is... I feel like I'm looking at you... It's Claire Danes in... In Homeland. Homeland. I'm going to have color-coordinated everything. Mm -hmm. Well, I was like, Colgate, that's that's a good part of the story just because it's very plausible in the sense that he was like an amazing physicist that worked on things that are highly classified. Like toothpaste. And he didn't... Whoa, that's the thing. He was toothpaste fortune error and... Error? (laughs) Harris... Hair. Hair are. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he, he didn't have 
have to get a job. He could have, like, All just... these people feel like they didn't have to get a job, <laughs> but then they started time traveling. He did a lot of stuff. There's, like, a lot of privileged kids in this, like, Dwight D. Eisenhower's great-granddaughter or whatever. There's just, like, it's pretty... It feels, like, very Illuminati. Well, yes, it is. And we don't know what Colgate did because it, it was uh, fucking kept under wraps. A lot of what he did, for real. That is for real. Wait, what's for real? That Colgate was a physicist that did secret stuff for the government is for real. Andrew's saying this is what the secret stuff was. Ooh, more. Yeah. So he's saying he was able to temporarily embed someone in a past event based on what he referred to as a time slip. I do want to tease the fact that I got interested enough in this that on next week's episode... I'm going to be talking exclusively about time slips and when they've happened to people. And it's wild. So tune the fuck in. Holy shit. Okay. Andrew, I hope you're going to like Andrew after I tell you this. He, um... You buried the lead. You buried the He was informed by the CIA that he is going to be president. And he did run for president in 2016 against Trump and Hillary. Which I think we we all know how that went. Um, but you know what? I think he's better suited for the job than the person that got the position, if I'm honest. If we're being honest, I would probably agree. Okay. Um, do you want to hear about some of his platforms that he oh, would run yeah, on? yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, obviously the big one is he would force the fucking government to disclose secret time travel technologies. Mm. And he would want Tesla teleportation technology to be introduced uh, socially because if we replace our forms of transport... Greenhouse gas. All go, like, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. He's all about reducing greenhouse gases. And he's like, this will do it. This is awesome. He also wants to pardon Edward Snowden. He also wants to invest $100 billion in infrastructure and programming for Native Americans. And I'm down with that. He would like to put Bigfoot on the endangered species list. Okay? And that's his platform. I'm so upset that I didn't hear about it. Honestly, is he running again? Um, He's going to be president. I don't think, so I don't think this is his his year. Um, but um, he doesn't know what his year is. So it's it's like, does he do it every time? Like, it's probably hard for him to say. Wow. Why? So I know what you're thinking. Why did the government do this? They wanted to weaponize... I'm thinking a lot of things. That actually wasn't what I was thinking, but I am thinking a lot. Right. (laughs) He says one of the reasons it was kept secret is that they wanted to weaponize teleportation so that they could put troops on battlefields. In the middle of... Yes. And that no one would really know what had happened. And if you're curious about that, I would look more into the Philadelphia experiment. (laughs) But the technologies were also viewed as a little bit socially and economically, not a little bit, a lot of it socially and economically disruptive Mm -hmm. because uh, they would replace entire industries. So many jobs wouldn't exist. Although you would think there would be a lot of jobs in teleportation, maybe? I don't know. Vice interviewed him and they were like, a lot of your ideas are hard to believe. How do you deal with people calling you crazy or a liar? And he said, I just recognize that the truth ultimately prevails. I recognize some people view me as a liar or as crazy or they're envious that they were not involved. But I'm simply sharing what happened to me. I'll get a certain amount of disbelievers, but I'll also get a certain number of believers. What a 
good outlook, though. Really. Healthy outlook on that guy. So why tell everybody, right? Right. He says, I'm speaking out as a whistleblower and that we as the U.S. should lead... Uh, otherwise, some sort of rogue organization or criminal one could get a hold of the technology and might use it to manipulate the world. So that's going to be less likely to happen with more transparency. Also, his father told him that he should go forward and tell people about what they had been a part of because it was something great and it was an amazing technological feat. And the fact that we achieved it is incredible. So he said before he died... Um, when I die, I want you to have a family meeting and I want you to tell everybody what we did together in this program. And I don't care if they don't believe you. I want you to tell the whole fucking world. Oh, so here we are. That's what he's done. And that is the story of Project Pegasus and wow. Andrew and his amazing life. Does Andrew have a book that he wrote? Um, Andrew has a lot of things. He wrote a book. He does lectures. Mm-hmm. You can check out his lecture. Here's the problem, honestly, and why why I think his story has not gained more traction. I watched one of his lectures, and he's not a good showman. Right. Like, he's... It's, he's just like, kind of boring. He's yes, milk toast, which is my favorite word. The least boring story in the world told by the most boring man. I'm so sorry, Andrew, but it... He it, doesn't he have needs, that charm. Yeah, he needs help on his PowerPoint presentation. He needs some fun effects, maybe. It's crazy to me that he traveled time, but he can't figure out PowerPoint. <laughs> that actually is a travesty. That's but really dark. he makes, dark. like, lots of good dad jokes during it, which is... Yeah, he's charming. That, he's that's just, not what um, I want. That's not what... I mean, I love a dad joke. I you know. know I loved Obama's dad jokes. But you know what? To argue for Andrew, uh, this really happened to him. He doesn't feel the need to make it an amazing, like, tune in next week vibe of a movie. He doesn't need to make it an exciting film to watch. He's just telling you a story. like, this is my life. And a lot of it's really technical. I didn't even include all that because I, know, I just even couldn't wrap my mind around it. Like plasma, it. like it is a hard story to follow. Yeah, it's tricky because it's a lot of new words for me, at least. No brags. Well, that's I thought it'd be good for everybody, for yeah. all of us. Uh, educational. Well, this was our this was our educational episode. This is our educational episode, which brings me to my story. I'm doing the story of the family, the cult in Australia. Can't wait. And I feel like it's a little connected because. People believe things. And and so... Say what you will about people. They, they believe, believe things. things. Um, like in the promise of this podcast. Um, <laughs> so I got this information from 48 Hours. Maybe not anymore. Maybe not after said, that last story. Bye. They said 48 Hours, Wikipedia, 60 Minutes, Australia. I, is that Australia? Oh, that one was good. Oh, see. I'll cut the first. Thank you. Okay, so this starts in the 60s. Okay, so there is this woman. Her name is Anne Hamilton. Eventually, it's going to be Anne Hamilton Byrne. Um, I think she's born Evelyn Grace Victoria Edwards. Her mother, she, her mother was a paranoid schizophrenic, and she had a troubled childhood. So something along the way happens, and she goes on a little trip on LSD, and she figures out that she is the reincarnated Jesus Christ. Heavy. Very heavy. Like, what a burden. Like, truly a burden to carry. 
So she creates this thing called the family. It's called like a new age cult. Some of the alternate names are the Great White Brotherhood or Ooh, that um, one's problematic. The Santa Nikitan Park Association. I I prefer the family. I can see why those didn't catch on. Yeah, we're gonna go family. The family. So what I love is an origin story of let's just say it. It's a cult, new age cult. So it was really interesting how she got people to start following her. So she met this gardener of this, like, well-to-do guy. His name is um, Dr. Rainer Johnson. And uh, she decides to have sex with his gardener, and she finds out all this information about Dr. Rainer Johnson. And so the next day, she, like, knocks on his door and is like, I'm Jesus. Like, I'm... I'm Jesus. Like, I am the Messiah. I am, like, I am reincarnate. And she descended from royalty. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> mention that. But she descended from royalty. She is the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. And she goes and tells Dr. Rainer Johnson, who's this, like, smart guy. And she's like, but I know all this, 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 and this about you. And he's like, oh, I believe you. I believe you. And it gets so far that she gives him this dose of LSD. And I don't think she actually told people what she was giving them. But what she would do is she would give them LSD and then she would stand in like a billowy silk gown (laughs) in front of dry ice. (gasps) And so... Oh, I love it. And so they were like, I see the Messiah. Like, I fucking see you. And so Dr. Rainer Johnson, after seeing her as Jesus Christ, he starts getting all these people... And, 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 and recruiting them, right, to come into the family. What's crazy is they're all professional people. Like, I think at the peak, there are like 500 members of this, the family. By the way, her starting this was divine orders to do so. And so Dr. Rayner, being a sweet but gullible man, starts bringing all these people in. And what's crazy, it's mostly professional people. And when they talk to an expert in the 48 hours, is it 48 hours or 48 minutes? Whatever it is, 48 something. Hours. Thank you. In, 40, in the 48 hours specials. 60 minutes, 48, 48 hours. hours. In the 48 hours 23 special, days. 28 nights. 69, 69. Um, then, so, okay. So all these professional people are joining the cult. And you might be asking yourself, how are these people that are quote unquote intelligent, well-educated people joining this cult? This expert was talking about how these people were more susceptible because they themselves thought they were impenetrable. Do you know what I mean? Like, they were like, I'm so smart, I will never be involved in a cult. There's no way. So they had their blinders on that they would never do it, and then they just, like, walked right into a cult. Right. Wild. So, I mean, I guess just the moral is don't belong to anything. No clubs, no no book clubs, no... Yeah, no uh, book, book clubs are, honestly, the, no MLM is true cult, but book clubs are the beginning because you join a book club, but then you have to go to someone's, like, party where they're selling makeup or workout oy. or a perfect body, which, go fuck yourself. So she started meeting people, too, and performed, quote-unquote, miracles. There was one story of her making someone walk again. Maybe she is Jesus. I don't know. So she was, like, claiming Ooh, to reminds- perform all these miracles, but uh-huh. also giving people LSD and... So she marries this guy, Bill Byrne. She basically starts in this in this cult. She starts ordering people what to do. So she, like, had a guy leave his wife and marry, like, and be with her. And then she met this guy, Bill Byrne. He left his wife and married her. She just, and then she would tell people, like, you leave your wife and they would just do it, you know? And so then she started having kids. A lot of them were adopted. 
And at one point at the maximum in the house, there were 28 children. So the way she got these kids was she would take them from followers. She would, in her group of followers, there were psychiatrists who would drug the mothers. And while they were under the influence, take their children and get them to sign away their babies. Some of the women just flash forward, ended up killing themselves afterwards or having or suffering crazy psychological effects of this, obviously. So she stole children, but she always presented this idea that she was carrying them. So she'd wear like maternity outfits and be like, I gave birth to these triplets. And she had a birth certificate saying that these triplets were her biological children, although some of them were stolen. Where'd she get the birth certificate? She just made a PDF. She had a friend. No, she like... All of her followers just, like, followed her fucking blindly. And this includes psychiatrists. And she would hold people. She would blackmail people by being like, you know, it only takes two psychiatrists to be committed. And she had two followers that were psychiatrists that were at the local hospital that they used LSD to treat people. So she would take that. Yeah. Dang. Really crazy stuff. So she absorbs all of their money, all this stuff. Now, the children, they range from teenagers to, ha- to like, uh, or start toddlers to teenagers. And because she wanted them all to feel like the same member of their family, she dyed most of their hair bleach blonde. So they all were, like, blonde children. What's crazy? With dark roots. <laughs> With really dark roots. Or red hair, because she was a natural redhead. Also, by the way, this woman has had so many fucking facelifts. She looks terrifying. Terrifying. Oh, I can't wait to look at a picture. I know, I was looking at a picture because later on in her life, she's seen without a wig, and her hairline is fully in the middle of her skull from the majority of the the facelifts. It's insane. So, obviously, being a cult leader guru, I wouldn't call her a great mother. And by that, I mean she wasn't totally present. She was constantly, like, using them as propaganda. But the children were left to be cared for by these aunties, which were members of the cult. And their whole motto was unseen, unheard, unknown. Um, or no, maybe that was the motto of the cult. Either way, the children adhered to that. She combined love with fear, and the discipline was so insane on these kids. I guess what makes a cult is one person having an all-knowing divine power. I don't think that's the exact definition, but I think that's like an attribute of having a cult, which she was, being the Jesus and being all-knowing and uh, omniscient. Omnificent? Maleficent. She was a witch. I think Maleficent is the word you're looking for. She's, either way, she's terrible. Um, So, omnipotent. Whatever. Tomato. I was just proud I thought of the word. Omnipotent. She was was Omni Hotels. So, she, so, she did have, I think, one biological daughter, but everybody else was stolen or taken from members of her cult she also like rearranged couples within the cult and was like no you're with her like she just was on a fucking power trip so she kind of speaking of julie andrews she kind of wanted them to be sort of like the australian von traps so they all sang they all wore matching outfits and i do think it's important to note when i was watching videos and looking at photos i look like one of the children i look like the boys i had a very short haircut (laughs) But I fully, like, I will find, when we post this, I will give you a picture of me as a child 
and you will see the pictures of these children and you will go, wow, Carrie, are you a member of the family? To which I would respond, my family, not this one. So the kids lived apart from all of the adults. The adults lived like not far away, but the kids all lived together in this house and it was not good. If you wet the bed, you would get cold showers. Um, One of the youngest girls didn't speak until she was five years old. They were beaten. They were abused. Um, One of the boys had asthma and he was made to stand outside in the middle of the night. Um, They were all frightened for each other and all of their identities obviously were stripped because they were forced to look the same, like very homogenous. They compared Anne to being either the magic queen or the wicked witch. And a lot of the kids that were interviewed or the survivors of this cult talked about how she did carry herself like a queen and they just like revered her and feared her all at the same time. One of the rules of raising the children was better to have a dead child than a child that lied to you. It was like discipline versus boredom it was like either you were horribly bored or you were incredibly disciplined um like it was just it was there was no middle ground there was no joy their childhoods were all stripped from them Anne would call and when she was out of town and if somebody was doing wrong she'd be like i want to hear them scream so the aunties would discipline them um on a hot day kids were splashed with cold water to cool them down and when they screamed they were they were subjected to beatings The kids were waterboarded where they would like stick their heads in water, taken out, gasp for air until they were basically passed out. Um, Her husband, Bill Byrne, had a really bad temper. The children were starved and in doing so, they would wrap a um, lock around the refrigerator so the kids couldn't eat it. But the animals were really well taken care of on the farm, like in that area. So the kids, when they found that the food, they would go and eat the dog food as a way to survive sometimes they'd go a week without being served a meal um the dogs were loved so much that if a dog died the dog's decomposing body would be put in the kids rooms and they would sleep with them and the decaying dog or the decaying animal until the dog was given a proper funeral and buried there were some wellness checks because the kids were homeschooled but their aunties were always there with the kids, so none of the kids could speak up or say anything. And if there's... It doesn't make any sense. It's sort of like, if your whole thing is you hate kids and you're going to treat them like this, she why loves are you trying children. to collect them? No, she loves children. There's interviews <laughs> with her being like, well, they're like, why did you have all these kids? She goes, I love children. Like, so creepy. Veneers, horrible. Whoa, she looks so a little bit mentally. like Tammy Faye Baker in a way, like with like a lot of done up facelift. Oh, okay. Crazy. Um, so... They would, like, wake up at 5 in the morning, do hatha yoga. Boys had homeschool. Um, At 14, the kids would have a ceremony where they would do LSD for the first time. So she was drugging the children as well. I imagine being drugged at that point would almost be a welcome reprieve from... The monotony of everyday life and torture and just exactly. By the way, I've never done LSD, so let me be clear that uh, I actually have no idea if that's the case. I think it terrified them because they were so used to this rigid thing that to have anything that was like a like probably freaked them the fuck out. But unfortunately, like most cycles of abuse, kids would repeat violence against the animals. They would scream into the night, and if the police were called, scream into the night. Yeah, it was in the middle of night, and they would scream, and police would come. And when the police came, they would all, like, the parents would be like, they're just, like, just treat them with a smile. And the kids 
would be shoved into the walls of the house. So there was a hole that you see in the building that the kids showed, and like 28 kids would sit there and not make a noise because they were so afraid. In the wall? In the wall. They would like open a little, like it was like a little cubby hole in a wall, and they would all sit there and cover it with a picture. Creepy. Horrible. Um, and the they were scared to make a, no- a noise. Like they, they were so conditioned to be obedient that they nobody spoke up. And they told the kids that if the police came, they'd be in burlap sacks, beaten and raped. And like, you don't want the police to come. So they instilled fears of the outside world. When they couldn't hide, the kids had a script that they adhered to. So they were trained to say certain things to the police. So finally, one child, this girly Anne, um, at 15, she tried to confront Anne, and Anne slapped her across the face, and Leanne slapped her back, and then ran away. So she ran away. She gets to this old couple's house. She's like, please call the police. They're like, where are you from? She's like, call the police, call the police. The police come. She tells them her story, and you know what they do? What? They bring her back. Yeah, they fucking bring her back. They fucking bring her back. Believe children. Believe fucking children. Oh, it gets worse. Um, So she's not punished, weirdly. Um, But two years later, she runs away again. And she goes to the exact same house. And they're like, you're that girl that came two years ago. And she's like, it's me. Call the police. The police send the exact same police officer. (laughs) What? That's nuts. That's insane. Finally, the police officer brings her to the police station and takes her statement and starts to take oh, her seriously. because he's like, it's Thank been two God. years. Your story hasn't changed. Thank God. Sarah, another kid at the cult, um, was li- or another child, not in the cult, another child that was a victim of this situation. At 17, she had a fight with Anne and was excommunicated. And so when she left, she went to the police, gave a statement with the two of them reunited and able to corroborate each other's stories. They finally believed what was going on. They compared themselves to the Judas, right? Like she was Jesus. She needed to have a Judas. And one of the punishments was, is if any person who like crossed Anne, she would write their name down and put it on ice cubes and they would like die. So the ch- or that's what she told them. So the children were like, oh my God, I'm going to die because I've oh. crossed her. Finally, in Australia, in their compound, on August 14th, 1987, the police raided the property near Melbourne. At that time, only seven children were left on the premises because other kids left and re-entered real life. I don't know what... They, that's not totally clear, although you do find out that some of the kids that were a part of this world went on to commit a lot of crimes and lash out in a lot of ways because, obviously, they didn't know how to function in the world. Yeah. Um, Anne was out of town, so she was not there. No adults were arrested that night. They went and collected the children and then, like, brought them to a group home. And you hear the police audio in this episode, and it's, like, really fucking unsettling because they're, like, they brought their sister, who was not there. I think it was... Was it Leanne? Yeah, Leanne. Leanne went with the police officers because they wanted to have, like, a familiar face of someone so that the kids could recognize so they weren't as scared because it's horribly traumatizing. So the kids were taken to a group home, and some of them talk about how they were like, nothing was wrong, nothing was wrong, and but yet dinner was out, and they were like, you can have as much as you want. And the kids were like, wait, what? I, I don't understand. And they're like, my stomach is so small, I can't, because they were just starved. Yeah, you get sick if you've been through starvation and then eat. Exactly. I guess one of the kids was so malnourished that at 12 years old, she was three feet tall. Oh, Jesus. Right? 
Bill, Anne's husband, who was there, ended up leaving and joining Anne overseas because Anne was not in Australia. So she's nowhere to be found. They're looking for her and she's evading police. In 1988 and 1989, between those two years, there was a case against eight of the cult members, including the three aunties who were taking care of the kids and abusing them. But since there's no evidence of child abuse, because there's no photos, hospital records, there's nothing tying physical abuse to the children, to these people, they were charged with falsely applying for benefits or Social Security, Mm -hmm. um, which was a total of $223,000. And that money they turned over to Anne. So some of them had like one, a couple years in jail. Some of them just had to pay it back. No justice for these children, just to be clear. At this point, this detective, Lex DeMann, comes on the scene. He works for the Victorian police, and he's investigating an arson. And he realizes this kid, who's one of his suspects, was was a victim of this cult, right? Mm -hmm. He had been adopted at two months old, and he had a bad rap sheet. He would cut car brakes when they were parked. He would light fires. Like, not a good situation, but I think Lex DeMann understood that something else was at play here. And so he kind of took on the burden of the case himself and became really an active participant in it. There was also another investigative reporter. She befriended Sarah and Leanne. And even her editor was like, are you an investigative journalist or are you a social worker, right? And at one point, a couple years down the line, she found this investigative reporter found Anne in Hawaii. (gasps) But by the time she, like, Just like Lori her, Vallow, they all be hiding in Hawaii. They're all fucking in Hawaii. And no wonder Andrew wanted to get out of there. <laughs> he knew. <laughs> so while she's questioning her, she evades it. Then they go off. They're off the map again. They can't find Anne or Bill. Because they didn't know. They knew she had a house in Kent. And I think they knew she was in the U.S., obviously. But they couldn't pin her down where she was. Lex DeMann, the the detective, he teamed up with five detectives to target the family and investigate the the abuses. And Anne was his number one target. And this guy, Lex DeMann, I really liked him in this because he was really emotional. He cried a lot. Like, he he cared about this case. And he Mm -hmm. says she's the most evil person he's ever encountered. He's like, she, he's like, I've encountered a lot of people. She's the most evil. Um... But they couldn't build a case because of lack of evidence. So he ended up befriending a past cult member, their lawyer, remember, who was helping forge birth certificates. Right. And this guy suffered from OCD. So it would sometimes take him two to three hours to take a shower. He would go to like go through three or four hour bars of soap while he showered. Like it was a very severe case of OCD. And he got arrested on fraud charges, and because of the threat of going for longer jail time is what made him crack and cooperate with the police. He sort of got a clear conscience. He called, and he was like, I did falsify these birth certificates. He had evidence that finally helped indict Ann and Bill. So it took four and a half years to track her down, and then Anne called Sarah, one of the kids who defected, right? She called her. And that's when they were able to trace her to Hurleyville, New York, in the Catskills. Hmm. So that's when they call the FBI. The FBI then has to investigate the issue. So they they contact the FBI, and Hilda Kogut is their contact. Now, 
in that area, the Catskills in the 70s, it became a mecca for hippies. And they think that Anne had bought that place and actually had brought some of her children there and met with other cults that existed up there as like a way to get information and to build credibility. So maybe to have a New York branch of the family. But she was on kind of a busy road. So the FBI agent was like, I don't know how to how to surveil this person. I don't know what to expect. So what she did was she contacted the postal service, they put you, the post office in town, because she was like, listen, if you're going to find something out, who knows everything? The mail carrier. And she's like, confession, my dad was one. By the way, support the U.S. mail, but vote, you can do it. Okay, so then she started doing runs with the mail carrier so she would like ride around with the mail carrier get some recon on the building find out who was there because she's like it's a cult i don't know how dangerous they are i don't know what's going on so finally on june 4th 1993 Anne was arrested at the catskills home she's 71 years old and her hair is so far back her hairline is like in the back of her fucking head (laughs) she's crazy so they bring her to jail they bring her to jail to wait for extradition to australia and she's constantly complaining of hunger because she hadn't eaten breakfast which was really fucking ironic because of the way she starved her children i'm quote unquote children so they were extradited they were extradited to australia and lex demand came and picked them up and when she looked at lex demand she goes you know you're a lot younger than i thought thought and then he wrote he said and you're the bitch that i've heard so much about oh dang <laughs> all next right to man even though all of this stuff was happening some of her followers and some of the kids in the family still weren't turning on her right i mean like stockholm yeah. syndrome times 20 brainwashed million. That's, brainwashed. A cult, man. that's a fucking call and again since there was no physical evidence of the abuse they were only charged with conspiracy to defraud and commit perjury by falsely registering the births of three unrelated kids as her own triplets. So she was faced with five years of prison and $60,000 worth of fines. Since they were old and not in great health, she pleaded guilty to the lesser charge of making a false declaration, and she and Bill were each fined $5,000. And that's it. That's it. So what year was that? That was 93, 94. Well, Bill died in 2001. There are still members of the family in Australia. This cult still exists. This belief there are people still. Well, she just died in 2019 at 97 years old. Whoa. So she was she running the cult. She was running a cult. She was running the cult. She had followers. They interview in forty eight hours and sixty minutes this believer of hers who still believes in her, and he's like, she radiates joy i feel it in my like he's fully into it and the 60 he's minutes on drugs in the 60 minute australia interview sarah the one of the victims and this guy michael is there and they're arguing and because Anne is like i never abused the kids and sarah's like yes you did and michael's like you're lying you're trying to get money like just it's really jarring and what's crazy is like these children although they were abused by this woman they still she was their mother. So there is the fact that Sarah, who unfortunately passed away, but like 
she was able to sit in the same room as this woman who tortured her and heard her spew lies is really crazy. And they interviewed a lot of the survivors and some of them had children of their own and talk about how difficult it was and how they couldn't pick their own children up or they didn't know how to discipline them because they would have flashbacks of their discipline and like being like, ah. they didn't know how to handle it. They didn't know how to be a parent, you know, and yeah. they're trying to end the cycle of abuse. I mean, it's really admirable and really jarring. Some of the children were able to reunite with their birth parents which I think was really special that they're able to, some of them made peace with them because some of them were members of the cult that gave them to her. You know, it's like some of them were people that they'll never meet because some of them, like I had said, had killed themselves after. I mean, it's like the, the, the fucking effect, the ripple effect of is enormous, is massive. Lex DeMann talks about how she was not charged with child abuse and he thought that the kids had gone through enough and he didn't want to put them on the stand. Um, some people are saying, like, that's they're strong. They survived this. They could have survived that. She should be in jail. I bet it's divided. It's enough kids that I would say for some it might have been therapeutic to confront this head on that way. And right. for some it would have been further damaging. And some of them, you know, some there are books written about this from the children's perspective. And the interviews that these the survive some of the survivors gave i mean it's i mean it's it's really inspiring and you can still tell the effects the emotional effects that this experience have on them obviously um so like i said um she claimed it was all bullshit up until her death she claimed innocence she you know she's this, in this interview it's shocking for her to deny these allegations when her quote unquote daughter is right there you know and she even's like, yeah, those are my children. I did give birth to them. And Sarah's like, I met my mother. <laughs> like, you're not. You're not. And then she goes, well, do they? Do you have the DNA? And she goes, the police does. And her follower is like, but do you have it? No, you don't. It's all lies. You know, it's all conspiracy. They brought Lex Demand to the Catskills home in New York. And when he walks up to it, he starts crying. It's this detective who is feeling so, feeling everything so strongly and powerfully, he breaks down in tears because he's just like, he reckons with the evil that this woman put these kids through. And like, I was really humbled by his emotional availability into the experience of these kids and him wanting justice for them, which Mm -hmm. I thought was really endearing and also wanting to protect them from the witnesses. Does he have kids? It didn't say. They didn't yeah. say. I just wonder because sometimes that'll that stuff will hit even closer to home. If I think do, yeah. if you're like picturing what's the, what the allegations are against her as somebody did that to my kid, right? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you want a real trip, the sixty minutes in Australia, she looks at the interview and she's like, "You're not smart," and he's like, "What?" and she's like, "In your heart." You're not smart. You're not smart in your heart. She's like 92. And that, sir, was a rhyme. And her hair is so far back. Really far back. She should have gotten a wig if you want to keep doing that She facelift. did, but she was seen without a wig because she was arrested. So this uh, was like the one time. She didn't have a wig on when she got arrested? Or they take it off home. of you? I mean, I guess it's like extra, you know, who knows what's in there. Right. You could hide, eyebrows you are can like, hide a lot of stuff in a wig. Her eyebrows are just like carrot, you know, the carrot on your keyboard. Because it's constantly pulled back. Uh Wild. 
I'll leave it with this quote from Lex Deman, where he says, It will be a great day when they bury the bitch six feet under. And at 97 years old, she died in June 2019. What a time to be alive. Time it was? Oh, what a time it was. Do you know that story? No. My sister Brianna was supposed to read the book for college. Um, <laughs> I love hearing about it was, Brianna's <laughs> hijinks. They're so good. It was something about the quote, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, that book that says time it was, oh, what a time it was. <laughs> I like that. I love I love a Brianna hijinks story. You know, they're one of my favorite because she's a prankster. And I love when she has to cover for the history that you guys didn't learn. I think that's really good. Yeah, neither one of us. Neither one of us. Lick you. a history. Well, look at you. I just learned so much. You learned from about this time episode. travel. You didn't know that Lincoln was assassinated, and because of your because of your story, now you know. <laughs> I knew that. Give me <laughs> oh my god, cut me some slack here. One thing I want to say, though, is um, if you're in the mood for some extra silliness this month, just jump on Patreon because we've got this really fun uh, episode that just came out this month for Patreon subscribers about twins. And don't we all love twins? I mean, we do, right? They're creepy. They're kooky. They're all together ooky. It's the twins. It's it's twins. It's twins. You guys know. That's a good Halloween movie, too. Oh, and a good Halloween costume. Should we be them? <laughs> I want to be Wednesday Adams of anything. <laughs> I want to talk to you about what I think about sexy Halloween costumes, but I think we'll wait till next week. Next week for a Halloween episode? Yeah. Hey, dear readers, we love you. Join Patreon. Uh-huh.